Our next speaker is Matt Torcheri from Smithsonian Institution, and he's going to talk about insights into hominin bipedalism from gorilla anatomy. Hi, how is everybody doing here today? I'm really excited to be here. So why gorillas? Why am I talking about gorillas? Well, as humans, as we all know, we like to study ourselves. And so we, we seem to know an incredible amount about our own evolutionary history and some of the faces and, skeleton, and, and body shapes and body sizes that are in our own evolutionary family. But, you know, too bad if you're an African ape or a gorilla, because if there were any gorillas sitting in the audience today, they probably wouldn't be too impressed because all we really have uh, are possibly about three teeth that might represent a 10 million year old gorilla ancestor. Uh, and so I think if, if there were gorillas in the audience here, uh, and in particular silverback, we'd probably hear something like <clears throat> which is their throat growl uh, to basically get other members of their group in line and stepping up to it. And so I think we'd be hearing something like that in terms to pull up our socks and start looking at uh, what we have in extant groups a little bit more carefully because they're not all the same and they're not just, we can't just lump them together. And I think in terms of what Jeremy was just talking about, I think we have a lot to learn from them still. Uh, and one of the reasons why this is interesting is because we've actually known for a long time that there are differences among different gorillas. Uh, and this goes all the way back to the 1930s when the great primate anatomist uh, and anthropologist Adolf Schultz uh, published uh, this paper on differences in, in between mountain gorillas and western gorillas. Now, mountain gorillas live in high-altitude habitats, and Schultz knew this, whereas western gorillas live down uh, near the coast or in lowland forests, so you have very different ecological habitats. But what Schultz was so uh, excited about was that he seemed to see that in mountain gorillas that their, their big toe was more in line. It wasn't entirely human-like, and he certainly didn't make that argument, but in, in comparison to the other great apes, and particularly other gorillas, they were more reminiscent. They were approaching what we see in humans. Uh, and you can see that here where he was illustrating these are mountain gorillas on the top, and these are western gorillas. And he made a, a lot of, uh, uh, he highlighted the fact that the toe lengths were different, uh, you had lots of things going on, and in particular, again, this, this big toe hallux being slightly more in line with the other, with the other toes. Now, We've come a long way since Schultz, and we know a lot more about the, the different habitats and the, ecologies, the ecological habitats that these gorillas inhabit. We also know that they don't just grade from one into the other uh, in terms of their, their habitat structure. They are separated, and this, they have been separated for long periods of time. And as an example, we have uh, western gorillas here, which are known as gorilla gorilla, uh, and eastern gorillas over here, and they're separated by quite an expanse. Uh, not, and to mention the Congo River, which is a, uh, not an easy uh, barrier to cross. Uh, but as you go from these western gorillas that are in lowland habitats, we have these eastern gorillas that some inhabit strictly highland habitats, uh, which is the mountain gorilla. But then you also have grower gorillas, which used to be known as eastern lowland gorillas. But they inhabit both the highland area uh, of East Central Africa here, as well that they've expanded out into this huge lowland forest area, and that's all happened fairly recently, uh, which makes them very interesting as models to look at how differences in these ecological habitats, and in particular trees, you know, how big are the trees, are there fruits, and that sort of thing, how these things can influence the morphology in terms of 
you know, no one would argue that they're all terrestrial knuckle walkers. Just like we probably don't argue that all hominins, aside from, say, Ardipithecus, are bipeds. But they do differ subtly in the frequencies of arboreality, and maybe there's something that we can see in the skeleton of gorillas. Now, earlier this year, I know you've all read this. I'm sure everyone's already read this paper, but no, as a musician, I know, you know, you, you, you write a song, you make an album, you still got to go out and push it. So I am pushing this one a little bit. This is a paper myself and my colleagues published earlier this year in Journal of Human Evolution, where we tried to re-examine uh, what Schultz had did. Now, this is actually from Schultz's original publication, and this was his entire sample, where he tried to look at the medial cuneiform, which is the bone at the base of your big toe. And he tried to look at the angles of that relationship to see whether or not their toe was more like ours, and more in front and in line with the other feet, or was it more diverged, right? And so I had developed a series of techniques uh, doing my dissertation to look at morphology and wrist bones that seemed to be perfect to looking at this, because what we do is we basically are able to fit planes to three-dimensional models that we acquire from, from scanning technologies, and we can begin to quantify these ways in... in uh, uh, very easily, and we can look at the distribution of these features. And so it's very technical. You, you get a scan model, and then uh, you color in the lines. Uh, I, I learned this in kindergarten. I think I finally was able to do it by about grade four. Some of you probably could do it a lot earlier. And, and this is what we do. We, we take the three-dimensional models, and we just color in the articular surfaces. And this does provide a little bit of slop, because we might all color them in a slightly different way. But generally, uh, it has little effect on, on the quantitative metrics that we're looking at. And we're able to fit planes and things like that to the surfaces and get a very, very uh, uh, easily quantify how these facets, how these articulations are oriented relative to another, as well as sort of their relative size and curvatures. So what's really fascinating is if we look at this bone at the base of the hallux, that has a big impact on whether our big toe is more divergent or more in line with the other toes, what we see is very interesting, where we have these eastern gorillas, in this case, mountain and grower gorillas over here, and then we have western gorillas as the black triangles, uh, and then the X's and the O's are, are chimpanzees. So what we can see is that western gorillas, like chimpanzees and bonobos, actually have a more divergent big toe, right? Which is not unsurprising, because we know that uh, they live in more forested habitats than these eastern gorillas that live in these highland habitats. Now, initially I thought we, we were expecting to see a little bit more variation here because perhaps grower gorillas were going to be somewhat in between because they inhabit both highland and lowland habitats. Uh, but I never get it right the first time, and I, and I screwed up because when I went back and then looked, you know, at the time when we started this, I didn't really know that much about gorillas. And it turned out that almost all of these gorillas are highland grower gorillas. And so... I got back on the plane, and I, I went back over to Europe, and I hunted down as many lowland grower gorilla skeletons as I could find. Uh, and just to give you a little tease of how exciting I think this is, here are some of the uh, three variables that really distinguish between uh, the, the uh, gorillas and chimps I showed you on the previous slide. And what's really fascinating is the lowland grower gorillas are beginning to show similarities with the western lowland growers. And so even though this change is very recent, because we know from genetic and other morphological data that eastern and western gorillas, 
began diverging somewhere between a million and a million and a half years ago. And there's been low levels of gene flow up until probably even the last 20 to 50,000 years, right? But we've had these highland gorillas diverging in this respect, and yet now, as grower gorillas became separated from mountain gorillas probably around 20,000 years ago, it's only within the last 10,000 years that forests have returned in this part of Africa and crept up and made connections to these highland habitats. So grower, lowland grower gorillas have basically expanded and, and uh, dispersed into this area within the last 10,000 years. And we're already beginning to pick up these subtle variations related to grasping because they're climbing more and they're going after more fruits. Now, uh, so I even, I just want to tell a quick story because I'm fascinated by this. And unfortunately, we don't have a lot of these lowland growers skeletons in the world. And so I even made a trip to Rwanda to then try and cross the border to get into Goma and ride down Lake Kivu and go into here uh, just a few months ago. And unfortunately, because I'm Canadian, uh, there's been a bit of a diplomatic spat or something going on. And so Canadians can't get entry visas into Rwanda very easily. And even though I had a visa to go into DRC, the Rwandan said, well, no, you've already entered Rwanda. We may not let you back in. And so I was kind of stuck because my departing flight was going to be from Rwanda. So I didn't get into the DRC to look at more lowland growers, but I will. Trust me. <laughs> so instead, I've started to look at some other bones. And one I think that's very important, uh, as Jeremy touched on, is, is the talus. Because it can help tell us whether you have more of an inverted set to the foot, where the sole is more oriented like this, or a more everted set, where it's more like an us, where it's straight underneath uh, our knees. And again, eastern gorillas have been kind of ignored uh, in this respect. And here's an example of what a western gorilla, or a chimp, for instance, uh, talus looks like. And so here you can see it's very uneven and more curved. This is an inverted set to the foot. Well, this is a, a mountain gorilla. Okay, and you can see... The, the rims on both sides are very even, and you're getting a much flatter surface. Right? This is very much, looks a lot more human-like, for those of you that know this morphology. What's also interesting, you may note that eastern gorillas seem to have slightly a uh, higher degree of uh, torsion of the, of the tailor head, which is also more human-like. You can also see that a little bit in this specimen. So we can take these, uh, these bones, and again, by doing the color in the lines method, we can then export the surfaces and fit uh, quadratic equations to them to, to try and quantify the curvature in a way that's replicable. And so what's really fascinating, I think, is that we can see that, hey, western gorillas are far more curved than our mountain gorillas. Okay, and also, you may also note that when you change the relative height over here, this whole lateral side of the foot gets bigger. Okay, so we can use that facet uh, that articulates with the fibula and also we can see that that facet is getting larger, is larger in western gorillas than it is in mountain gorillas. Now, I know I'm excited enough already, but it gets even better because when you look at grower gorillas, you can see that lowland grower gorillas are beginning to diverge from the highland growers, even though you know, these are still connected biologically. But as humans have gone in there in the several last few hundred years, you know, they're, they're, those corridors are getting less and less. Uh, but because the lowland growers have expanded into thousands of, of gorillas over the past uh, 10,000 years, highland growers have been more restricted. They haven't increased in numbers.
But I think that increase in numbers coupled with the different habitat, you're beginning to see selection tinker with this morphology. Now what's fascinating is you can see in terms of that lateral side, they look like they're doing it a slightly different way than how western gorillas have done it relative to mountain gorillas in general, and that these two features aren't always going together. But you can begin to tweak the anatomy, not because they're no longer terrestrial, but because the frequency of their arboreal behaviors is going up. And so when you just look at these two variables, never mind a multivariate analysis getting all fancy, just curvature of the trochlea on the x-axis and the relative size of the fibular facet on the lateral side, uh, you can see eastern gorillas, particularly the highland growers and the mountain gorillas over here, western gorillas in the triangles way up here, and lowland growers beginning to invade that morphological, ecological space that is shared with western gorillas. So again, why I think this is so fascinating and relevant to our discussions about the evolution of hominin bipedality is because gorillas are still here. We know what they look like. We can get their genetics. We know how they're related. You know, there's still a lot to work out on, on how that, that's all happened over the past uh, uh, several hundred thousand years, but we have a good enough idea. And the fact that we agree that they're all terrestrial knuckle walkers, I mean, maybe they do knuckle walk a little bit differently from one another. But I don't think we need to say that the different ways that hominins walk bipedally probably weren't all that different. At least in the sense that when we look at it, we might want to look at how ecology and how the paleoecology and the paleoenvironment may be sort of obscuring and giving us some noise when we look at these more, this morphology. Because if we can see it in gorillas, at least over the last million years in terms of Eastern versus Western, but when we can begin to pick it up within something that has likely occurred only within the past five to 10,000 years, I think it's really exciting to see how morphology can be tweaked along an ecological morphocline. And I doubt that hominins are any different. Now, I borrowed Jeremy's slide from the, the Sadiba paper to highlight this, and so I hope, I hope you don't mind, but I, I, uh, I thought this slide really illustrates it well. Uh, and this was in the supplementary material of their paper, showing a number of hominin tali, and noting that, hey, there's tremendous variation in the torsion angle of the head, which in part is related to when you look at these lateral and medial rims, you have to orient them so they're in the same plane. So when one is higher than the other, it does kind of, it influences this a little bit, but in particular in the grooving of the trochlea, again, which relates to more pronounced or less pronounced curvature. Now, we can throw our hands up in the air and say things like, you know, Taylor morphology is so variable, it doesn't tell us anything. Or we can say, you know what, when we actually look across apes and within apes, maybe there are signals there that tell us something about this. Now, this is not saying, you know, just like I wouldn't argue that a, uh, an eastern, a western gorilla is not a terrestrial knuckle walker. But I might argue that, hey, you know what, there's tweaking going on there that's related to a higher frequency of climbing. And we may, we may argue against, you know, based on this sort of gorilla model uh, of whether or not it, what its relevance is for looking at, at hominin bipedality, because let's admit it, bipedality is very different from knuckle walking, but at least they're both terrestrial. And at the very least, I know, if there were a gorilla in the audience, he'd probably say at least an encouraging 
So thank you very much.